Well, hello and welcome to this month's CSF podcast. As always, aiming to keep you up to date with the latest information and data in rheumatology. So if you're listening in the Northern Hemisphere, spring is finally arriving, even up here in Scotland, the sun was spotted. And if you're in the Southern Hemisphere, I hope you have had the most wonderful summer and you're looking forward to the glorious colors of, of the autumn fall ahead. Anyway, back to today, today's podcast. I'm going to review two papers that help to broaden our understanding and knowledge in the safety of biologic and targeted synthetic DMARDs. First of today's papers, Matthew Baker and colleagues determined the risk of developing interstitial lung disease, ILD, in people with rheumatoid arthritis undergoing treatment with different biologic and targeted synthetic DMARDs. And in the second paper, Lars Christensen and team analyzed data from oral surveillance to help identify subpopulations with different relative risk, i.e. high risk, low risk, with TOFA versus TNF inhibitors. Well, as always, to access detailed summary slides of the papers discussed today, visit cytokinesignaling.com. That's cytokinesignaling, all one word, and a double L. Signaling is one of those words that gets spelled differently in different parts of the English-speaking world. So cytokinesignaling.com. Alrighty, paper one, incidence of interstitial lung disease in people with rheumatoid arthritis treated with biologic and targeted synthetic disease-modifying anti-rheumatic drugs. There are actually rather limited data in the pathogenesis of RAILD, and I think it's a clinical problem that worries and challenges us all. We, we know that clinically significant ILD occurs in approximately 10% of patients with RA. That, that's actually a number that's increasingly being argued about, and subclinical disease may be quite a bit more prevalent. We also know that risk factors include smoking, rheumatoid factor, anti-CCP autoantibodies, and some genetic variants. And think uh, MUC5B, HLA-B54, HLA-B40, and HLA-DQ1B uh, star 060. And we're kind of learning from other interstitial lung disorders, particularly uh, that the literature around MUC5B is utterly fascinating. I recommend it to you on another day. However, there's still gaps in our current data regarding the risk of developing ID with different biologic and targeted synthetic DMARDs. So this was a retrospective cohort study that aimed to estimate the incidence of ILD in people with RA treated with different biologic TS DMARDs and to compare the risk of developing ILD between patients treated with different therapies versus adalimumab, which was set as the kind of reference, if you like, the most commonly prescribed TNF inhibitor for RA in this particular data set. And patients were included in the study if they were adults with RA, had a year or more of continuous enrollment before the study index date, were treated with a biologic or targeted synthetic DMARD, and did not have pre-existing ILD. And the therapies that came into the trial were adalimumab, abatacet, rituximab, toplizumab, and tofacitinib. And there are chunky numbers in there, uh, 13,326 on adalimumab, 5,676 on abatacet, 5,444 on rituximab, 2,548 on toplizumab, and 1,565 receiving tofacitinib. So goodly numbers, crude incidence rates for the development of ILD were calculated and the risk of ILD across the different therapies was compared using COTS regression. So overall, this was 28,559 adult patients included in the study. The mean age of 55.6 years, 78% were female. 
It seems a lot, but remember, this is a relatively rare event. So, uh, we, you know, you need to calibrate that in your thinking. In the primary analysis, crude incidence rates per thousand per person years for ILD were 6.15 for Atux, 5.05 for Tocilizumab, 4.46 for Abitacept, 3.43 for Adalimumab, and 1.47 for Tofacitinib. After adjusting for age, sex, race, education, geographical region, Charleston comorbidity score, outpatient visit frequency, and concomitant immunosuppressive medication use. Patients who received tofacitinib were 69% less likely to develop ID uh, compared with those treated with adalimumab. That's a, an adjusted hazard ratio of 0.31, and the confidence intervals do not cross one, and that, that is a a p-value of 0.009. But it was recognized that tofacitinib is typically used as a third-line agent after adalimumab. And as such, there may be, I would say, highly likely to be inherent biases in this comparison. So for this reason, a sensitivity analysis directly comparing tofa and adalimumab using a prevalent new user cohort design was conducted. And in this analysis, patients treated with tofacitinib had a 68% reduced risk of ILD compared with adalimumab. The adjusted hazard ratio here is 0.32. And once again, the, the confidence intervals did not cross one p-value on this case, less than 0.001. Okay, what do we make of all of this? Well, first of all, it's retrospective. So, caution. Patients treated with TOFA had the lowest instance of ILD compared with patients treated with all biologic DMARDs. And patients treated with tofacitinib also had a reduced risk of ILD compared with patients treated with adalimumab after adjusting for important covariates. And they suggest that treatment with tofacitinib and, and maybe for that matter, other JAK inhibitors could provide benefit in the, the, the reducing the risk of developing RALD. However, I, I, I think this, this is a really interesting, it's almost a hypothesis setting paper. It's important to remember that although significant, these results should be interpreted with real caution. It's still a relatively small sample size for tofacitinib, 1,565 patients. Uh, and it's also, by the way, remember, there's gonna be selection bias for the kinds of patients that you'll give medicines to. Tofacitinib, you know, broader immune therapeutic potential across the, 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 the gamma chain signaling cytokines, pancytokine receptor inhibition, potentially that would be therapeutically interesting in, in the, the kind of immunological events that might lead to lung uh, damage. But really, this is, a, I think, a hypothesis setting study. And certainly, I think future perspective analysis are now mandated for tofacitinib, indeed, for the wider JAK inhibitor field. Okay, second paper, identification of two tofacitinib subpopulations with different relative risk versus TNF inhibitors and analysis of the open label randomized controlled study oral surveillance. I, I almost don't need to introduce oral surveillance to you now. It, it was uh, published uh, recently indicated an increased risk of MACE and malignancies, excluding non-melanoma skin cancer with tofacitinib compared with TNF inhibitors in patients with RA, age more than or equal to 50 years with more than or equal to one additional cardiovascular risk factor. Uh, additional analysis uh, have indicated that increased risk of MACE with tofacitinib was primarily observed in patients with a history of atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease. We've touched on that in previous podcasts. Age and smoking have been identified as independent, that is, they, they operate across all of the treatment groups, uh, independent risk factors of interest 
across safety outcomes in the oral surveillance study. And based on these results, this was a post hoc analysis aimed to find easily identifiable and potentially clinically practical subpopulations of patients with different relative risks versus TNF inhibitors. Put simply, can I find a high risk group and a low risk group because that might guide my decision making? If someone's low risk, I might be less worried about the use of a JAK inhibitor than someone who's, who's high risk. In terms of the method, many uh, of you will be aware that oral surveillance was an open label, event driven, non inferiority post authorization uh, safety study, primary endpoint of MACE and malignancy. Uh, here, events of interest were malignancies, excluding non-melanoma skin cancer, MACE, myocardial infarction, fatal and non-fatal, VTE, and all-cause death. Hazard ratios, incident rates were evaluated by age and smoking individually and in combination, and validated across the tofacitinib development programs. So what was found? Well, if we look at the baseline characteristics first, Data show that compared with the tofacitinib development programs, patients included in oral surveillance represented a risk-enriched population. That was partly deliberate. Um, it's reflected in a higher proportion of patients aged 65 years or older and current smokers. There was also a higher proportion of patients with a history of diabetes, hypertension, and atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease in the, in the risk-enriched group. So if we look at the risk in this high-risk subpopulation, that is, once again, those aged 65 years or older and those who had ever smoked, the data show an increased risk of malignancies, MACE, myocardial infarction, VTE, and all-cause death with tofacitinib, combined doses, versus TNF inhibitor. The hazard ratio is uh, in the range 1.41 to 5.19. Conversely, if we now look at the data for the low-risk group, so that's a subpopulation that aged 65 years or less and have never smoked. There was no detectable risk increase with tofacitinib versus TNF inhibitor. Hazard ratios here approximately 1.0 for all event up to six years of follow-up. And in addition, absolute risk remained low. Yeah. Ratios, absolute risk, that's the thing you talk to your patients about, was corroborated across the tofacitinib rheumatoid arthritis psoriatic arthritis and ulcerative colitis programs with up to 10 years of observation. Okay, what do we conclude here? Well, it's post hoc, so that's a caution. It's a post hoc analysis of oral surveillance, identified high risk and low risk populations with different relative risks accruing with tofacitinib versus TNF inhibitors. The higher risk versus TNF was confined to a subgroup of patients who are pretty easy to spot age 65 years or older, and long-time smokers, current or past. And it's these differentiating risk factors that accounted for the excess risk observed with TOFA versus TNF inhibition. The lower risk group, younger than 65 and never smoked, um, didn't have that association. But it's still worth noting that these patients did have prevalent other cardiovascular risk factors because that's how you get into the oral surveillance inclusion criterion. Nevertheless, in this low risk group, there was no detectable risk increase for TOFA versus TNF inhibitors in oral surveillance up to six years follow up. Uh, so, I, you know, it just, keeps, it just keeps us thinking, doesn't it? Overall, despite the post-op nature, the, the results are clinically important and they may be generalizable because you could look at the rest of the TOFA program. Although remember, that's clinical trial program. People get into clinical trials, all the vigilance that goes with being in a trial. So even that has its potential criticisms. So I think 
at the moment, this will help us to guide individualized benefit risk assessment. We add it to that growing matrix of analysis, both of oral surveillance, but also other studies looking at risk associated JAK inhibitor use. There's a, a, a proliferation of papers. And of course, the joy of the website, cytokinesignaling.com, is that we've got them all there for you in one place. So please um, do look at the website to view the publications uploaded this month uh, and also to access other podcasts and resources cytokinesignaling.com with a double L. And as always, thank you for your attention. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. Let us know what you think by leaving a review. I really appreciate it. And as ever, I wish you the very best of health, good times, and every success in treating our patients. Thanks very much. (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.